Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay. Welcome to episode 61. Today, you'll learn how the National Labor Relations Board, or the NLRB, has expanded their interpretation of the pre-existing joint employer definition to hold both temporary staffing firms and their clients responsible for compliance with the National Labor Relations Act of 1947, and how the Department of Labor, the DOL, is leveraging that new interpretation and applying it to the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938. If you are a temporary staffing company, or if you use or you plan to use temporary employees, then you'll definitely want to listen to this episode. Let's rock this. This story begins on a muggy summer's day, as the smell of the ocean was carried through an open window by the delicate breeze. The year was 1960... Oh, wait a minute. That's the wrong story. That's the story of my life. Uh, Let's see. Oh, here it is. This story begins on Tuesday, August 27th, 2015, when the NLRB ruled on the hotly debated question of whether or not to keep the current standard for assessing joint employer status or revise it in light of what they call the current economic landscape. The NLRB administers the laws created by the National Labor Relations Act which requires employers to acknowledge and negotiate with employee unions, or, as the NLRB says, to encourage collective bargaining and to curtail certain private sector labor and management practices which can harm the general welfare of workers, businesses, and the U.S. economy. So what is a joint employer? Well, it's just as you might suspect. It's where two or more employers are mutually responsible for labor law compliance of the same employee. Now, before the recent ruling that has now forever changed the landscape, to be an employer subject to the National Labor Relations Act and the board's regulations, you had to have the authority to control the terms and conditions of employment, and you had to actually exercise that authority. But that changed due to the NLRB decision in the case of Browning-Ferris Industries of California, Inc. and Leadpoint Business Services. In this 3-2 ruling, which took 50 pages to explain, the NLRB says that it will no longer require you to possess and exercise that authority. Instead, control that's exercised indirectly, such as through an intermediary, say a temp staffing firm, is enough to establish joint employer status. The NLRB's decision did not clarify the extent of control that creates a joint employer relationship. Of course not. That would be too much to ask for. In fact, the two dissenting board members said that, quote, the number of contractual relationships now potentially encompassed within the majority's new standard appears to be virtually unlimited, end quote. And to help illustrate their claim, they conveniently provided some examples. One is an insurance company that requires employers to take certain action with employees in order to comply with policy requirements for safety, security, or health. Two is franchisors. Three are banks or other lenders whose financing terms 
require certain performance measurements. And four is any company that negotiates specific quality or product requirements. Five, any company that grants access to its facilities for a contractor to perform services there and then continuously regulates the contractor's access to the property for the duration of the contract. Six, any company that is concerned about the quality of the contracted services. And seven, consumers or small businesses who dictate times, manner, and some method of performance of contractors. That pretty much encompasses every scenario where you might use the labor of a third party. The effects of the ruling will be felt far and wide, undoubtedly, and it will permeate government agencies across the board. I mean, not long after the ruling, the DOL's wage and hour division adopted the new definition to fill the crevices created by the fissured workplace. We talked about the fissured workplace in and what that means in that in the last episode, episode 60. And at the end of the day, if the DOL has it their way, every individual who performs work for a business will be counted as an employee of that business for purposes of federal labor laws, regardless of who they actually work for. Both companies will be responsible for compliance. Now, this ruling has paved the way for for other federal agencies to apply the joint employer standard to their laws that they regulate and enforce. And we already saw in the last episode that the DOL is ready to begin their attack on temporary staffing firms and the businesses who use their services when it comes to FLSA compliance of the Fair Labor Standards Act. But it won't stop at just temporary staffing arrangements. No, the DOL is chomping at the bit to extend this logic to franchisors, subcontractors, and every other form of labor outsourcing. Here's a quote from Dr. David Wheel, the administrator of the DOL's Wage and Hour Division. Quote, As the workplace continues to fissure, and as employment relationships continue to become more tenuous and murky, we will continue to identify where joint employment applies and to hold all employers responsible. End quote. And in his administrator's interpretation, which is sort of an opinion letter on joint employment, dated January 20th, 2016, Dr. Will says that, quote, Additionally, when joint employment exists, all the joint employers are jointly and severally liable for compliance with the FLSA. Where joint employment exists, one employer may also be larger and more established with a greater ability to implement policy or systemic change to ensure compliance. Thus, Wage and Hour Division may consider joint employment to achieve statutory coverage, financial recovery, and future compliance, and to hold all responsible parties accountable for their legal obligations. In other words, each joint employer is individually responsible, for example, for the entire amount of wages due. If one employer cannot pay the wages because of bankruptcy or other reasons, then the other employer must pay the entire amount of wages. The law does not assign a proportional amount to each employer. End quote. What can you do to protect yourself from being determined a joint employer by the NLRB and the DOL? You need to look at your contracts. Look at all of them that involve an employee of another party doing work for you. Look to see if you have any rights to exercise control over how the work is done, the wages that are paid, 
the conditions of employment, and evaluate the arrangement in each of the following categories for the degree to which you control contractually and physically. One, direct control and supervise the work performed. Two, control the employment conditions. Three, the permanency and duration of the arrangement. Four, the repetitiveness of the work and the level of skill and training involved. Five, is the employee's work an integral part of your business? Six, is the work performed on your premises that you either own or control? And finally, seven, the nature and extent of any administrative functions you perform on behalf of the employee. For example, do you gather time cards, report hours and earnings, process payroll, approve time off? Do you provide insurance, tools, materials, or training? Make sure that the company that's providing the labor knows what they're doing and that they're compliant. Easier said than done. But otherwise, you might be the one paying for it. Your vendor due diligence just got a lot more complicated. Well, there you have it. That's a wrap. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Small Biz Brainiac. To get your questions answered by Thomas directly, visit smallbizbrainiac.com. And for more employer intelligence, be sure to join us again here on Small Biz Brainiac.